Hi church, my name is Pastor Brock. Can I ask, who are you? I'm a pastor, but maybe for you, I'm a nurse. I'm a full-time mum. I'm the tallest in my family. I work in commercial real estate. I'm a mad Collingwood supporter. I'm a paramedic. I'm an audio-visual tech. I'm a business owner. I'm a manager in my workplace. I'm nearly a new dad. I'm a full-time mum. I'm a farmer. Church, can I ask, who are you? I'm rich. I'm poor. I'm popular. I'm a loner. I'm smart. I'm dumb. I'm single. I'm married. I'm divorced. Who are you? This question is the identity-shaping, life-altering, eternity-affecting question. Who are you? My name is Pastor Brock, and I'm looking forward to speaking the second message in our series as we look at our identity in Christ and what that looks like as we engage in different relationships in our life. Let me pray as we open God's word. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you so much that we have the power of your living word, that we can open it, God, and learn about you, discover who you are. Holy Spirit, today I pray that you speak to us and change us, that we are completely transformed and different because of our engagement with you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am blank. How would you answer that question? Let's have a think for a moment how you introduce yourself. Have you ever been in a situation when you're in a, where you're in a circle at your workplace or maybe at your life group and you're asked to go around the circle and to introduce yourself? For me, it goes a little bit like this. My name is Brock. I'm a husband I'm a father of four kids and a pastor of a great church in Eagle Hawk. But is that who I am? Am I the things I do? Am I the things I achieve? Am I my my relationship status? Am I my job description? My net worth? Am I the number of Facebook friends I have? Am I the outward perfection of my beauty? Well, we had some pearls of wisdom uh, shared with us by Pastor Dave and Jono last week, and they reminded us that no, these things are not our identity. The who we are, as we ask this question, is received from God. It is a gift by the glorious riches of God's grace. We don't actually and can't actually earn it. Our identity is received not achieved we heard in colossians 3 that it said we have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator we have a new image 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says that we are a new creation in christ the old has gone the new is here We also learned we don't have to look within to find this new identity. 
it's not hard to realize that we look around and the world is telling us, just be your true self. Look within and you can be who you want to be. Express your within. Stand up. You can be whoever you want to be. But that's not what God says. God says he's given us a new identity that's being renewed day by day. I love that we were reminded last week also that we become what we behold. That means that as we gaze upon the majesty of Christ, that's who we become, transformed into his image and likeness. I believe that one of the the greatest questions that we could ever ask ourselves is, Who am I? Why is that? Because our identity, church, becomes the lens through which we make every decision in our life. It determines who we believe ourselves to be. It It determines what we spend our time doing in this one life that we've been given. It determines what we fight for and what we value. It determines what we don't care about. It determines where we spend our money. It determines how we spend our spare time. It determines what our hobbies and interests will be. It determines who we choose to marry and also who we call friends. Our identity determines how we see ourselves and how we see those around us. And as we explore these different types of relationships that we might find ourselves in over the coming weeks in this teaching series, keep this in mind. Our identity affects our role in every single one of the relationships that we find ourselves, whether that be really positive and healthy or really negative and toxic. How we answer this question, I have to say, ultimately determines the level of satisfaction and fulfillment that we will experience in our life. If we're to look for or find our identity in people, in possessions, in places or status, the moment any of these circumstances change, and they will, You may change jobs or change your relationship, the place that you call home, your financial position, so will your identity. We need to discover an identity that never changes, that will stand the tests of times in the highs and lows of life as we grow and as we change and as we celebrate and as we mourn. The greatest sermon ever preached was not by me it was the sermon on the mount jesus was preaching up a storm found in matthew chapter 5 to 7 i'm i'm sure it would have gone for several hours so hold on i'm going for several hours today and people still would have wanted more jesus said from verse 24 in matthew 7 he said this therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against his house, and it fell with a great crash. It is vitally important that our identity is built on an unchanging rock. The unchanging truth of who God says you are. His words need to be so deeply imprinted on our mind and heart that his fingerprint is evident on our life. So that when the waves and challenges of life come, and they will, our house, or in other words, our life will not fall and crumble. Church, if you want to chase your identity from the things of the world, you will be daily tossed by the winds and the waves. You'll feel one day you fit, And then the next day will come and you'll be asking the question, I don't know who I am. What am I meant to do or be? Who am I? So as we continue to build on Jono and Dave's great message from last Sunday, I want to explore in a little bit more detail, what does this identity that has been received from God, not achieved, look like? We know Right back in Genesis chapter 1, we are told with such great confidence that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So what does that look like when we think of identity? I can't think of a better book in Scripture to explore than the book of Ephesians chapter 1. So I want to give you some time. Um, Open your Bibles, maybe bring up your um, app on your phone. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. So right from the get-go, we know that this letter is written to Jesus-following Christians. It's not written to and doesn't actually apply to those people who don't first have a relationship with Jesus Christ. These aren't simply just good principles that we can put in place and try hard and adopt for our life. These things are actually secondary. They're ancillary to, first, a personal relationship with Jesus. And then I want to help us to, and leave us with one thought as we ponder how we apply this to our lives. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse, 14, uh, verse 1 to 14. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. In the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance to the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things 
in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard this message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are called God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow, there is a lot in this. Let me help us explore some of these incredible and beautiful statements of truth in this passage. This is how God sees you as a follower of Jesus. As one of his disciples, this is who he says you are. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Notice some of the declarations over you as a follower of Jesus. Let me summarize. You are a saint, meaning that you are one of God's holy people. You are blessed, it says, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are chosen before the very creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You were predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. That means you are in God's family as one of his children. It says you are accepted by God and a recipient of his grace. You are loved because he died for you. He finds great pleasure in working in and through you. It says you are redeemed. Uh, you are redeemed and forgiven in Christ. You have a wonderful inheritance waiting in the spiritual riches of Christ. You are indwelled and sealed by the Holy Spirit who guarantees your inclusion in to the family of God. I want to ask you again, do you believe this? One of the deepest questions in our life is this. What is my purpose in life? One way to answer the, ask the same question is, who am I? Because when we know who we are, we know what to do. When we know who we are, we know what to do. If you're finding yourself in an identity crisis, if you seem like you're in this ongoing rut of bad mental health, of bad relational choices, substance abuse, if you feel like you are just scraping through day to day, maybe it's not that you have to try harder, but you're facing an identity crisis. Can I please encourage you to read over Ephesians 1 and 2? Over and over and over until you learn it from memory, who God says you are. And until that sinks into your heart, that it becomes your belief and your identity in which you live out of. Let's have a look at these 14 verses in a whole, because there are actually three particular blessings that we see in these 14 verses. We can group these 14 verses into three blessings. And as we have a look at this, can I please emphasize, when you know who you are, you know what to do. 
Let's have a look. Verse 1 to 5 shows us the blessing of belonging. It opens with, you to God's holy people. You are a saint. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are adopted. Isn't it a special and reassuring feeling to know, I really fit here. I'm not an outsider. I'm safe. I belong and I'm a part of something. And there's actually no threat that I can lose what I have. I belong. I want to put this photo up of four dogs with a cat standing in the middle. Because I want to say, despite how different you feel or think you are from those around you, it doesn't matter. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you belong to the family of God. Your quirkiness, your weirdness and all. That's what I really love about our expression of the church here at Bendigo Baptist Church. Because we have all different types of people. And generally, different types of people do not get on. But we know that we are united in Christ. And we each have something unique and vitally important to contribute to the body of Christ. In this we read, you are now a son or a daughter of the king. You are a special part of his family, which he calls the church, his bride. You've been adopted. And when you're a part of a family, as a child, you can't undo that. We are blood brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we can call each other our Christian brothers and sisters. That's why when someone new accepts Jesus for the first time in Christ, they are then our new Christian brothers and sisters as well. The blessing of belonging. Verse 7 to 10 shows us the blessing that we are loved. Have a look on the screen. The truth that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, and God finds great joy in using us a part of his plan. Why did God choose Moses, Abraham, David, Gideon, Esther, Ruth? It's not because they were significant. Why did God choose to bring the gospel to the Jews first? Not because they were large, they were actually the smallest of any other people group. Why did God choose you? Not because you have an ability and he, that he doesn't has and he needs you. He says, I chose you because I love you. And if you ask, yeah, that's good and well, but why do you love me? His answer, because I love you. And it's simple as that. So often we feel like we need to first be worthy or deserving of God's love. We want to do things so we can prove that we're good enough and then maybe God could love us. Jono and Dave last week helped us to understand that our identity is received and not achieved. You receive it. Why? Because he loves you. Full stop. In other words, 
we bow down before the imponderable nature of God's amazing grace. He loves you so much that he bankrupted heaven to buy you back with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. The blessing of belonging and the blessing that you are loved. Verse 13 and 14 shows us the blessing of security. It says, when you believe you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You have the seal of the Holy Spirit. The very moment you believed, you first believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit, church. He took up inhabitancy in your life. That's why we should never pray something like, Lord, we invite you into this place. You won't find me praying that because he's already here. He lives inside of us. And if we walk somewhere, the Holy Spirit goes with us. What we should be praying is, Lord, help me get out of the way so more of you can shine through. Feeling secure means feeling safe. Feeling safe means there is no threat that you may lose what you have. The Holy Spirit is evidence that you are God's possession. We are not only made in his image and likeness, but he's taken up a home within us. What's his is his. And he's the landlord. The real estate can't come and evict him out of his home. I love some of the strong declarative language here in verse 14. The promised Holy Spirit, it says, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We know he protects and provides and looks after what is his. Do you believe what we read in Ephesians 1? Do you believe that you belong, that you're loved, and that you're secure in this God-given identity of yours? I want us to notice a repeated refrain in this message. A refrain means to repeat. A refrain, a repeated saying that is used in Scripture to ensure the main point, the dominant point, is not missed by us, the reader. There is one statement that we see three times in these 14 verses, and it is this, to the praise of his glory. We see it in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glory. Again in verse 11. In him we were also chosen, predestined, working through us for his will in order that we who uh, were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And again in verse 13. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What does that term 
mean? It means that we exist for the praise of his glory. We're called and are privileged to, to glorify God. Not only as we're singing worship or praying or doing spiritual things, but in every aspect of our life, in every action, in every thought, in every feeling, in every relationship, every hour, minute and second to the praise of his glory. We see these words echoed also in the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse 20. It says, God speaks of my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. If you believe these things, which is our, which is our identity that we read in Ephesians 1, if we believe that we belong and are loved and secure, then as a result, we live for God. You get that? These belief and acceptance of these blessings results in us living for him. Who we do it for affects why we do it. And also vice versa. Why we do it affects who we do it for. Have a look at this positive perpetual cycle. Who we do it for affects why we do it. And then why we do it affects who we do it for. And then who we do it for affects why we do it. And it goes on and on. It creates a cycle. As we focus on doing it for Jesus to the praise of his glory, it continues to grow within us a pure motive, a pure intensity behind the reason why we do it. And then because of the why we do it, we want to do it for him more. And we want to glorify him more. Our motives and efforts are strengthened and we praise him. It changes us and we want to glorify him. And then we want to tell more people about him. And we shout his name louder and louder. You get it? It creates this circle to the praise of his glory. He's given us our identity And as a result, we want him to get all the adoration, the praise, and the credit. We shouldn't want it. We want him to have it. As we focus on doing everything for the praise of his glory, it changes our attitude toward the task or job ahead of us. It changes our focus, our efforts, our motives, and our passions. It affects the amount of time we give to what it is, we're doing it affects whether we have a smile on our face or if we look like that person who is always grumpy jesus should be our only audience we should have an audience of one because he is the one who's given us our our identity to the praise of his glory this actually frees us church Because it means that we can take our focus off the external external influences and voices who are trying to tell us who we are or who we should be. We no longer need to seek human approval or affirmation. I know this is something I really struggled with in the past, and maybe you as well. We so often worry about what others are thinking, that that becomes our subconscious drive behind a lot of the things we do. I want to say today, don't worry about what other people are thinking because they're probably not even thinking. 
An unknown author said, don't think about what others are thinking when they seldom are. An audience of one. So how do we apply this today? What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, whatever you do, out of your God-given identity, do it for the praise of his glory. Whether you're a boss, an employee, a homemaker, whether you're a student, put a little sign up somewhere, maybe on the dash of your car, to the praise of his glory. If you have to drive a long distance across the country, if you have to complete another assignment, if you have to cook a meal, whether you face another day, another patient, a blood test, another spreadsheet, another load of washing, do it to the praise of his glory. And that will obviously look different for me than it does for you and the person next to you. But it really changes everything, doesn't it? John Wesley was asked the question, if Jesus Christ was to come back in 24 hours, what would you do? Do you know what his reply was? Well, I'll just do what I was going to do. I was supposed to go to a friend's house for dinner and then go home and go to bed by 10 a.m., 10 p.m. And when I wake, I guess I'll be in glory. I'll just go on with business as usual, living in a way in my God-given identity to the praise of his glory. It doesn't mean that you suddenly have to go off by yourself, climb a tree, start contemplating life, start reading the book of Revelation for as long as you can, as fast as you can, singing praises until Jesus returns. No, it means making your bed. I guarantee you Bree is going to use that against me next time I don't make my bed. Brock, for the praise of his glory. (laughs) It means finishing your homework. It means completing the sale. It means doing the extraordinarily ordinary. Don't complain, but do it with joy, being confident that if you do it for Jesus, it will bring him glory. I'm going to go home and change a pooey nappy to the praise of his glory. Our goal in our one life should be to be an earthly reflection of the singularly most important goal of pleasing God in every aspect of our life. We cannot live in our God-given identity And live for others at the same time. Our identity becomes the lens in which we make, through which we make every decision in our life. Our identity affects our role in every relationship. It affects the level of satisfaction and fulfillment that we will experience in our life. And firstly, accepting Jesus affects our eternal salvation. Church, can I ask, who are you? It starts with God. Jesus is currently working to bring all things in unity in Christ, and it ends with God, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much that you have made us before the creation of the world, planned our lives for greatness. Not necessarily for success in the world's eyes, but that, that we may do great things in your eyes. Lord, we pray for those listening right now who are facing an ongoing identity crisis, whose relationships are messy, those who continue to make bad decisions around substance, choices, whatever it be. Lord, I pray that this identity that is received and not achieved will be adopted by each of us as your followers, as your disciples. Help us to do that. Help us to be transformed more and more into the likeness of your son for the praise of your glory. In everything, I pray that our motivation will be to bring glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.